This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Comedy can be a tough business, and many of those who climb to the top lose their joy somewhere along the way. That's not true for stand-up star and Saturday Night Live veteran Leslie Jones. Like, you meet all these famous people. Like, when I met Kerry Washington, at one point, Kerry had to look at me and go, I'm not Olivia Pope. I was like, no, b- you are Olivia Pope in my head. Yeah, I'm just like a regular person. Leslie Jones on her new memoir, coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. This episode comes with a warning. It will be profane, profound, and absolutely hilarious. Just like our guest. Leslie Jones first earned national fame when she landed a coveted spot on the cast of Saturday Night Live way back in 2014. But in the comedy universe, she was already a star. Jones started doing stand-up as a college student back in the 80s and worked her way up, performing on small stages in Los Angeles clubs for decades. That led to SNL, a Netflix special, and appearances in movies including Trainwreck, Coming to America, and 2016's Ghostbusters. And while her comedy isn't strictly political, Jones became a guest host for The Daily Show at the start of 2023. What's up, everybody? I'm Leslie Jones, and I am hosting The Daily Show. This week, if you're a fan of me, current events, and a surprise halftime performance by Rihanna, I promise to deliver maybe two of those. Leslie Jones is known for not pulling punches and not censoring herself. So this conversation will include a lot of profanity. You might want to tell the kids to go into the other room. We are so excited to talk with her about her new book, Leslie Effing Jones, a memoir. Leslie Jones, welcome to a word. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to talk to you, Jason. So Leslie, I absolutely loved your book, but writing a book is so hard and you've had a really full career. So what hits you at this particular point to write the book? I mean, they asked me, they was like, you want to write a book? And I was like, yeah. I was like, y'all should probably write it now too. <laughs> while I remember everything, which I didn't remember a lot of stuff. But I, at first I was like, is my life interesting enough? Because sometimes you read those books and be like, girl, you ain't really went through nothing. Like there's certain people that tell me about their life and I'll be like, yeah, that was hard for you. But I was like, I'm always telling my friends stories about the past and stuff. And they was like, girl, you should write a book. So I was just like, okay, cool. And I just decided to do it. It took us like two years to write it. One of the things I enjoyed about this is a lot of times when people finally come out with their books, other things have happened. So it isn't interesting. Like your book literally ends with you talking about sitting in the chair for the Daily Show. What is something that people are going to get out of this book? that they don't know already if they've already been following your comedy for years or your stand-up? What's the thing that they're going to be like, oh, hey, I know this about you? I just think all the stuff that was going on in the background, a lot of people have come up to me and go, girl, you was going through that? Like the hemorrhoid thing. People in my family didn't even know that I was suffering from hemorrhoid. No one knew. My friends, no one knew 
It wasn't that it was embarrassing. It was more of, it was like people go through stuff. It's just what it is. And when I finally got the surgery and I remember telling my aunt and my aunt was like, you have been in pain like that. It was like how I would grade my hotel rooms. Like I, you know what? I think I had got so used to the pain that I had included it in my life so much that I didn't even recognize how much it affected me because I had to have a hotel with a bathtub. I had to make sure that a club had a hot sink, hot water. It was always little things like that. And I think people think that stars have this, you know, yeah, some have a rough life and then they blow up or whatever. I want people to know that I was like a regular person. I, I blew up three or four times before I actually blew up. And I want you to know that everybody got a life and you still can come out and be good to people and you still can survive. Everybody goes through shit. You are not special. Your life is your life, but you are not the only one life in. When you talk about being a regular person, and this is honestly this is one of the reasons like that I'm like a legit fan of yours, like as a person, not just as an entertainer. But it's like you talk so much in this book about being a regular person when you meet people like that anecdote about Tom Hanks and just meeting Tom Hanks and grabbing Jim Carrey's beard. Talk about like the journey to be you and stay you the regular person while you're blowing up as Leslie Jones. What's so weird is that I literally am a TV baby. I watch TV. It's class. When people ask me, what's your favorite show? I go, I'm sorry, you can't ask me that. I watch everything. I like a lot of stuff. There's no favorite show. There's only maybe a favorite day because that those many shows might come on or something like that. And the way the streaming is now, it's just I can't pick a favorite show because I watch everything. So when you're meeting these people, like I am a regular person too. So I watch them on TV and I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Like when I met Tom Hanks, seriously, that's like meeting Denzel Washington. When I meet Denzel, I'm going to act a damn fool. I'm probably going to act like I fainted. I'm probably going to go, Denzel! I had a whole joke for Denzel at one point in my career. Like Robert De Niro. When I met Robert De Niro, I was like, oh my God, I love you. There's a story where I met Dustin Hoffman and I thought he was, who's the dude that plays Tony Montana? Oh, uh, Al Pacino. Yes, I thought he was Al Pacino. I went up to him and I was like, oh my God, I love all your work. I'm naming all these movies and stuff. And then he walks off and then my friend came <laughs> over and she was, he was like, you know, that was Dustin Hoffman, not Al Pacino. Right. And I was like, Oh shit. And then it, Dustin Hoffman was looking at me like Queen Latifah be tripping. I loved her in like, you know what I'm saying? Why, life of bees. Like, why would she disrespect me? But it's, it's just like that. Like you meet all these famous people. Like when I met Carrie Washington at one point, Carrie had to look at me and go, I'm not Olivia Pope. I was like, no, bitch, you are Olivia Pope in my head. You will always be Olivia Pope. Just like, because you just, you really are fangirling. Like, and, and so what's so weird is when I meet these people and they're a fan of me, some people always have to tell me like, Leslie, you're Leslie Jones. I did SNL. Beyonce comes by the, the, the thing and hearts me and go, love your work. When she walked away, our heads explode. We're like, wow, Beyonce. So yeah, I'm just like a regular person that just happened to have a fun ass job. That's why I always tell people I got a really fun job and I'm just really good at it. Most people 
discovered you unless they were really just stand-up fans. Most people discovered you from SNL. You started there in 2014. I want to play this clip from a Weekend Update sketch and get your thoughts on the other side. And you know what? When we first start dating y'all, we don't even know what we taking inside of us anyway. We got to be ready for whatever penis you bring to the house. <laughs> we don't know if it's long, short, wide, skinny, bumpy, scratchy, smooth, crooked. We don't know which one of the seven dwarfs you going to bring to the house. This is the thing. Most people, again, they discovered you watching SNL. And, and it's crazy because when you talk in your book about the fact that they first brought you on as a writer. Then they're like, we only want you to do a certain number of sketches. Talk to the audience a little bit about what you had to do to be seen as an on-screen cast member. Because it didn't start off that way. It was you behind the scenes at first, but you really did a lot of creative things to turn yourself into a full-time player. First of all, when I walked in there, I was already a full-fledged comedian. But I did have to learn how to play on their field because that's their field, you know. I did a lot of things. There was a lot of intricate things that I did, like making the table reading exciting. Anytime I would laugh or react, because, you know, doing the table reading, I'm definitely commentating like I watch TV. So they love that shit because it was like I was a kid and I was there for five years. Every table read to me was like, Wonderland. So it was just like when somebody would do something funny where they're just table reading, they're not supposed to laugh. I would be busting the fuck up. I'm, that's funny <laughs> as fuck. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> ah, did you just do that? Like they love that because it's like an audience member is sitting in on the table reading. So I would do things like that to me. And I hate to say it this way because I don't want to sound cocky because I'm not cocky. I'm just more convinced about who I am and what my skill is, I bring a whole thing with me. Like I bring an energy that is very exciting and very like you get pumped. I love to pump people. But, like I have a pump up and that is noticed in a place that was dead to me. I'm not saying they were dead. I'm just saying that they were complacent and already had got into a position of where this is where SNL is and all of that. And then you bring somebody like me, it's like throwing a bottle of fire into a block of ice. You turn these cold days into light days and bright days. And I was funny. Whatever they would give me, I would kill. And the thing about jokes that from me being a comedian, and as long as I was a comedian, I know all the formulas. So whenever they would tell a joke or they would have me do a joke, I know what they were trying to achieve. They didn't. They would tell me the joke and I knew that they knew what they wanted the joke to be. But then I would do the joke like it's supposed to be done. And they would be like, oh, shit, because it would be a, like a lot of little things that I would add, like little words or like they would say everything. They knew everything was a word, but like to hear somebody actually do it in their sketch, like the November one where back home ballers. Hold up. Y'all don't even know how pimp it is at my mom's house. That bitch puts out so many bowls of things for me. It's insane. I'm up to my ass in bowls. Bowls, all type of bowls. Chips and mix and seashell bowls. My mom's got bowls for everything. Potpourri and nuts and everything. Bowl on the toilet. Bowl on the shelf. Bowl of M&M's. I can help myself. She puts out these bowls for me. And any bowl I like, I get for free. Because I'm a back home I did that shit in one take because I knew what they wanted. I knew they wanted Missy Elliott. I knew they wanted somebody who could get that 
point across. And as soon as I said everything, they was just like, that's a dialect that they don't. Un- How can I put this? I would say it like it, they really wanted, like they did some kind of sketch one time where they was trying to use pig Latin that Snoop Dogg would use, like is a kizza. And I knew it all because I'm from Compton. So they're like, oh, that's information that they don't know about. Like, they don't know about Patty LaBelle making fucking pies. They don't know why she, they like the shit like that. I was bringing into the building. I was bringing that type of funk in. And what I did and what I learned to do is, uh, is some Godfather shit. Like, I'm all three sons at some point in my life. Sometimes I'm Sonny. Sometimes I'm Michael. Sometimes I'm Fredo. And you can, if you catch me on a sunny day, please get the fuck out my way because I will smack you. Okay? I will go through the toll booth and get shot up and go beat up the dude that touched my sister. Okay? But Michael Corleone, when I'm in my Michael Corleone mode, is a very patient, very calculating and diabolical, if I want to say. So I knew as soon as I took myself out of the equation that they would miss that. You get addicted to that light. And I had learned that I am some type of light. And what I did was I took myself out the situation. I was like, okay, I'm going to come the first week and I'm going to destroy. I'm going to do an update. I'm going to kill that update. Michael Che, see, Che knew. So Che put me in this video, this, I think it's 99 cent video where we was doing the village thing and I was hitting those tones. Like the last line, yo, if you want this dude back, you need to send $200 cash. They didn't have none of that in the script. We're not asking for the bare minimum. This number has been decided by very educated and caring people who can save your lives. Yeah. How? How you gonna save our lives with only 39 cents? Because I'm trying to do the math in my head, but I just can't see it. 39 cents is plenty. He keeps saying 39 cents. Why you keep saying 39 cents? For the price of a cup of coffee. Why can't be the price of an Arizona iced tea? They 99 cents. Because it's not the price of an Arizona. It's got to be coffee. It don't, though. Plus, coffee is way more expensive than 39 cents. It's 39 cents. You know, for a starving village, you people have a lot of energy. Maybe people who should send their checks someplace else. Oh, so you asking for a check? Yo, why would you ask for a check? You settle for a check. It's got to be a check, okay? Don't though. Here's your coffee and your change, Mr. Daniels. Perfect timing, Valerie. I love it. Hey, how much was that coffee? It doesn't matter. I bet you don't even know what country you in. I do know what country I'm in. What? What country you in? What country you in? What country you in? Africa. All right, look. See this cheap ass white man again? You better send us two hundred dollars cash right now. Don't hesitate. I did all of that because I knew what joke they was telling. So I did the sketch, and then Che put me in another live sketch. Killed that because I knew what tone that they wanted. And then the next week, I just didn't show up. They had me in one sketch. They had one line. I came. I did that one line, and like church, you know how you raise your finger and leave. I left because I was done with my job. I'm not a member of, and you want me to act like I'm a member of your team. You want to have me on the shelf. I'm not that bitch. I'm not a shelf bitch. I am a top bitch. I'm the one that you pick from the top shelf. I'm a top shelf bitch. That's why I'm so fucking tall. You understand what I'm saying? So it really was like, you're not going to do that to me. I know that you do that to the kids. And listen, if I was in my twenties and in my thirties, I would have rolled with this, but I'm not, I'm 47 about to be in my fifties and I've been through this shit and I don't need this shit. I'm very talented. 
I will just go make it. I just will be a stand-up. That's what it'll be. So the next week, I didn't show up for shit. I went to the last five minutes of the live show. I showed up and everybody's like, where have you been? Because that presence wasn't in the building. Where you been? And that's the quote of making yourself undeniable. My dad used to tell me that all the time. He was like, they can hate you like a motherfucker. They don't even like you. They don't want to talk to you, but they got to because you're the only one who know how to do that shit. We're going to take a short break. We come back more with comedian Leslie Jones about her new book, Leslie Effing Jones. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're joined by comedian Leslie Jones to talk about her new memoir. So, Leslie, yes, lots of people, they may have known you from stand-up. Lots of people knew you from SNL. I always point to my personal connection with you being from Twitter. (laughs) And how you became an unofficial MSNBC correspondent <laughs> during the shutdown with COVID. So I'm going to play this clip right now. And we're going to talk about this on the other side. I don't know why they're not letting me in. Okay, there it is. Okay, Jason, just because you put a goddamn ficus behind you and a damn bottle of wine on the other side, that is not accessorizing. Did you just move there, Jason? And I'm, I'm like trying to remember your background because I think I do remember <laughs> you just always just it's like, where are you? Leslie, I literally changed my entire background because of you clowning me. I went and added the fact that I have a Patty from Ghostbusters action figure of you and a Funko in order to get you to stop clowning me. I just want to talk a little bit about, because I think people underestimated how funny you were. I think a lot of people discovered your comedy because of what you did at MSNBC and because of what you were doing about the Olympics. Talk a little bit about that. Was that planned or was that just you shooting the shit watching TV? I think people really don't understand that it's just I am a comedian. A comedian is always going to be a comedian. And I knew because I had commentated a couple of movies and I knew people liked me doing it. I did the Game of Thrones. So we were inside and literally just watching news because everybody wanted to make sure that they knew what was going on. And I was watching these Zooms and I was was just like, do these people (laughs) not understand that they're not on the set? Like, That they're in their house and now we are finding out personal shit about them. So you're deciding to just sit in front of a wall. You look like a hostage. So I was just like sitting there going, maybe it's just me, but let me. And I started tweeting it out. And what I started noticing was people were reading my tweets and would change their background. (laughs) I was like, how am I that popular that people are looking at how I'm rating the back of their rooms. So I was like, okay, then I'm going to use this for an opportunity because honestly, during that whole time is when I really found out about politics, period. You know, being at SNL, I found out a lot of stuff, but I was watching the MSL, all the, I was like, damn, we are fucked. There's a lot of stuff that regular folks like me 
don't fucking know shit about. Like this needs to be broken down. When you guys are explaining stuff, like when I found out about the electoral college, I was like, that's not a fucking college. That shouldn't be fucking a college. That's a terrible college. That's literally saying, so it's for regular folks, I'm serious. The message that we get from media is not the message that you guys think you're putting out. You guys think you're talking to smart motherfuckers. You're not. We think y'all got that shit together. And we think that the media is part of the government and shit because y'all supposed to be telling us what they doing. So we think you motherfuckers are for us, but you're not. It's really a base of, okay, so y'all been lying to us. What the fuck? Oh no, this and this is really happening. And that's where I want to be. I wanted to be the interpreter of that. I wanted to come in and go, look, regular people, we need to start fucking paying attention to what these motherfuckers are doing. Like It's almost like getting your eyes open. So a lot of y'all reports were so good. You guys would come and do some hard-hitting shit and people would be like, why you not watching CNN? And I was like, sometimes I watch Don Lemon, he cool. But all the people I liked was on MSNBC. I loved it. It really was fun for me. And if I could make people feel better and laugh at their home, I was loving it, you know, because I'm a comedian first. One of the things that you also write about in the book is that, and this is what I appreciated, again, about your heart and your hustle and your talent. Initially, NBC didn't like it. They were trying to give you static for commenting about the Olympics. Talk a little bit about how that played out and who you are now as far as NBC in the Olympics. That story is also a testament to your skill and perseverance. Let me tell you, NBC really broke it down to me because they had to have a meeting with my ass because I was like, listen, you motherfuckers don't want me to tweet about the fucking Olympics. Do you know They See, they think that I got some fucking crew in here doing this. I'm doing this myself. I'm sitting on my couch, spending my time and hours to do this because not for NBC, for freaking the Olympics, the Olympic athletes, do you know how hard they work? And no one is paying attention to that. And that's a damn shame. And things are happening that they need support. Like it's our American team. Why wouldn't you be supporting them? So it was really for them. And what I found out from NBC, it wasn't NBC that was mad. It was other countries. So it's like people in Russia is watching me on Twitter and people in this other country is watching me on Twitter. Why would they watch what's they're showing on TV? So those stations were getting mad. People were literally like, if we're not watching it through Leslie Jones, then we're not watching it. And that was fucking up ratings for other people in other countries. So it was like, you're putting out content that we're supposed to be making money off of. So it really was about not me messing up their rights. It was other networks because NBC was like, we fucking love it. Like, we love you. So now I'm part of it. You're definitely going to expect me in the Paris Olympics. It's going to be off the chain. I'm about to do some off the chain stuff. So get ready. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more with comedian Leslie Jones and her career and her new book. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with comedian Leslie Jones about her new book, Leslie Fucking Jones, a memoir. An underlying theme, a lot of your comedy, an underlying theme of this book that I really love is things that you had to figure out as a black woman going into this business. You talk a lot about how people treated you like, oh, you should be grateful to be on SNL and people trying to change you from who and what you are. Talk a little bit about how you learned how to stand in your own power and not act like you always had to be grateful for opportunities that you would earn with your own skill. Honestly, it wasn't even about learning that. It was about realizing it. Like in my 20s and 30s, I did all the things. And like I said, if these people would have found me in my 20s and 30s, I would have did the whole script. I'd have did all that shit because I wanted to be famous. But that wasn't destined for me. And it was shown to me that you are a square that they're trying to fit into a circle. And that's not what's going to happen. And you need to know who you are. So, of course, I wasn't going to make it big because I am different. I am a different entity. So I had to realize who I was first. And you have to know yourself. You have to know yourself because if I would have got found in my 20s and 30s, I probably would have burnt out. I probably would have been one of them stars that you don't even fucking remember no more. And it's so much better because I did all the things that if all those things would have worked for me, I would be doing them. But they didn't. So I had to find out who I was and how I fit into this industry. I'll put it as a good example. I had a friend tell me one time because I was so mad I couldn't find shoes because my feet are so big. I couldn't find some shoes. And I was crying about it. And I was just like, my fucking feet, they're fucking big. I'm not going to find the fucking shoes. And my friend was like, okay, so what you want to do? You want to cut your feet off? Like you want to cut them off? But you ain't going to be able to walk, bitch, because you, your feet balance you out. Like, <laughs> you big bitch, you can't have a size six. You know what I'm saying? And that is a realization of I'm not going to be able to change the way I look. I'm not going to be able to change the way I sound. I'm not going to be able to change the shit that comes out of me. So... I might as well make this the person. So it's more of like, you have no option. This is what's here. And I know what I'm giving you is quality shit. And sometimes a lot of these entities don't know what they really want until they see it, until you show them and you show them that it works. That's all it is. You just have to believe in yourself. You have to know yourself and you definitely have to know yourself before they get a hold of you, because if you don't, they will sculpt you into what the fuck they want. And most likely it's not something that you're going to like. Yeah, that's what basically just accepting yourself. I'm reading through this book. You talk about losing your mother, losing your father, your brother, all the experiences with Ghostbusters, the crazy racism. And you talk a little bit about taking trips here and there. You talk about dysfunctional relationships from time to time. But what's the thing you do where it's like, this is me. I got a free Saturday. This is where I find joy. Honestly, most of the time I'm sitting by my pool smoking a joint because my pool is nice. It's heated. Enjoying the nature. My chi is watching my favorite show while I smoke a joint and play video games. What's your system? You put, are, are, you on the, are you on the new Spider-Man 2? What's your game? No, I'm on the computer, on the iPad, and I play time management games. Yes, I work. I, I'm a waitress. I'm a stewardess. I train animals. I listen. I have a farm. I have those type of games. I do those. I'm that type of. And sometimes I feel guilty because I could do it for hours. 
I can just sit there for hours and watch my show, especially if I have a couple of HGTV shows like Hillary, Farr, or the Property Brothers. Oh my God, if I have six of them queued up, oh my God, they're playing my, that's my chi. So that's why I tell everybody like extrovert and introvert, they need to really know what the actual meanings of those are. An extrovert gets energy from people being around them. That's how they get their energy. I get energy by being by myself. I like myself. I like my company. I like the stuff that I eat. I like the jokes I tell to myself. I like myself. Yeah. So that's my joy. Everybody make it hard because they want to be miserable. You want to be miserable. Like misery seems a little bit more fun to people because you can get attention from it. Right. Misery gets attention. It's people love to lurk in, in no nobody never talks about like people will love to post when they're miserable. People don't like to post when they're happy. And people right. don't even like to look at happy posts. What the joy has been strained out because we choose not to have see, y'all think joy is on a bicycle riding around, throwing it out in a basket. You have to choose it. You can't just sit around and wait for joy to come to you. It is not an easy thing. Yes, day to day, I fucking, just like every human, struggle with, yes, stay in this place, stay in a good place. What you ask yourself is, how bad is it really? How bad is it really? Because if you can get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom, you are a fucking king. If you could go to the grocery store and pick out your own food and take it home and cook it in your kitchen, you're a fucking king. Everybody needs to learn how to appreciate where they are first before they start asking for more shit. Why would you get anything else if you can't appreciate the little shitty one bedroom apartment you have? If you can't appreciate the shitty ass car you're driving? If you can't appreciate that you have stuff, why would you get new stuff? Because you're not going to appreciate that shit either. So you have to choose joy. You have to get up and you have to fucking shake the shit off because that's what it is. It's not easy. And everybody needs to understand you are not fucking special. Everybody is lifing. So when you come upon someone that probably had a bad attitude or did something, you may, may need to realize that they've had a fucking day or they might be going through some shit or they just might be an asshole. Now, there may be sometimes you need to snatch a motherfucker and that's that time. But it shouldn't be your lifespan. You should wake up every day to try to choose some happiness. The beginning of your book, you have the foreword by Chris Rock and Chris is like, the world has missed out on how big Leslie Jones should be. I'm glad that people are seeing it now. What's the thing that you want? Because you just talked about appreciation. You just talked about you can't get nothing new until you love the things that you have. Besides the Olympics, what's the thing you're looking forward to the most? Personally, internally, what's the thing Leslie Jones is looking forward to the most that, that our audience can be left with? I want to play a serious role and I want to be a villain in a Marvel movie. I want to be that type of villain that you love to hate. Like you want to see her again. Now nah, that, do you remember Wesley Snipes and Demolition Man? Oh yeah. 
I know everybody was scared of him, but I fucking loved Wesley. I was like, oh, I love that he doesn't get. I I want to be that type of villain. Like you, whenever she comes on the screen, you're like, fuck, man, what is she gonna do? That's the type of villain I want to be. And then I want to play a really serious role, like something where I have to look crazy. So like in color purple, I want to play one of them roles. I want to play a dramatic role. So yeah. I just want to tell you all, I could talk to Leslie Jones forever. She is one of my favorite comedians and honestly an incredible person. Please make sure you read the book. This has been comedian Leslie Jones with her new book, Leslie Fucking Jones. Leslie, thank you so much for joining me today on A Word. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to talk to you, Jason. You're doing so good on your job. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Slate Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word. Word.